This is episode 109 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Elizabeth Wykane. Elizabeth is a medical SLP in the Hudson Valley, New York area, who works in a community hospital within a larger hospital system. She covers acute care, inpatient rehab, critical and intensive care units, outpatient services, and home care services. She has a specialty in dysphagia, including fees, is an ACE Award recipient, and is a certified brain injury specialist. She is passionate about her patients, their families, and educating the hospital team on all things related to communication disorders and life after trauma. She especially enjoys supervising grad students, whom she's had the honor of working with over the past several years, and is a guest lecturer in dysphagia at the graduate level. She is pursuing further advanced education towards dysphagia practice, leadership opportunities, and is involved in medical device innovation. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders. And I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello, Teresa. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm great. So tell the people a little bit about yourself. All right. I'm Elizabeth Wyking. I'm a medical speech language pathologist. I work uh, in a community hospital in upstate New York, not like in the middle of nowhere, Adirondacks upstate, but two hour, two and a half hours north of New York City. So I'm part of a large hospital organization and do a lot as part of my job, but I love it and I'm never bored. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I do have a specialty in dysphagia. I do fees and modified barium swallow studies. I've an ACE award recipient and a certified brain injury specialist. I just really love working with the variety of people that I work with. So I think that's kind of why we wanted to chat today about just everything that I do. (laughs) Yes. Yes. All right. So tell the people what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So um, my job in my hospital is a tad unique from what I've heard in comparison to um, some other people's jobs, which are a little bit more isolated to to one setting, although there are many people that do a variety, but I tend to do um, almost everything, every setting except for a skilled nursing facility or subacute rehab and long-term care. So in my hospital, the bulk of my position, like to say, is a hospital-based SLP. However, there are days where I am mostly in outpatient settings because I do cover outpatient. I work through the home care agency that our hospital has. So I cover home care patients and I uh, do all the medical units in the hospital. So the medical, surgical floors, ICU, our critical care unit, our progressive care unit, um, and everything that entails. On any given day, I could be in what feels like five different places at once. That is making me dizzy just thinking about it. (laughs) That's usually the response. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, everybody always says, oh, but there's no way you do it all in one day. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. I do it yeah. all in one day. I feel like a ping pong yeah. ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess it's kind of like what I think I'm so like zoned in on doing mobile fees, but like I'll be in like six corners of the state in like one day. So I totally get that, like being yeah. all over the place. Yeah. I can't imagine so, doing the, yeah. the driving and the traveling you do. At least I'm in like one yeah. county. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, let's see, where should we get started? I guess what I'm like, what I'm like loving kind of is this whole, 
realization lately, and, and I think this conversation ties in right to that, is people are like, should I become a specialist or should I become a generalist? And like when I think of something like you, somebody like you, I'm like, well, you're kind of like a generalist and a specialist. Like you treat all these populations, but you also do have these like certifications and specialties. And I think I just think that's so admirable because I think we need both. You know, we need people to specialize in certain certain things, but we need people that can see all populations and be flexible in that. So I totally commend you, Elizabeth, for being able to wear all those hats, juggle all those balls <laughs> and specialize in things. So thank you. You hit the nail yeah. on the head with that. That's yeah. certainly it's it's why I get up in the morning. I yeah. yeah. And by the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I can't possibly learn one more thing today. My brain is full. <laughs> um, I, I just had to, you know, learn a brand new disorder and way to treat that. But apparently at 9 a.m. tomorrow, I'm treating yet another new thing that I've never heard of. And I need to quick look up some resources on that. <laughs> so thank God for the collective, because sometimes we need like we only have five minutes to check on something that we've never heard of yet. We're expected to walk into the room and be the expert on it. And you have to hold your head high and say, well, I am the expert because I know more than a lot of other people in the medical community about this thing. Um, and I'm here to supplement what their care is. Yeah, we have uh, big gaps to fill. And I think that's why the demand on medical speech pathologists is just so high that we we have this high level of excellence. And yeah, I, I like to think I'm a specialist in voice and, and dysphagia, but at the same time, exactly. I'm a generalist. I have to cover everything. Yeah. 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 I think that's such a good point about what you made because I think it's, there's so many new disorders and there's so many new conditions that are taking on a different life and looking similar to a different condition you know so i think it, it's it, it's difficult because it's like the code of ethics says you have to be competent in everything you treat but then it's like has anybody heard of this condition before anyone anyone anywhere anybody any okay cool so, i think that happens daily <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so i mean i feel like as long as you're doing your homework and you're reaching out and you're you know, not naively saying, oh, I have tons of experience with this. You're not lying to your patient about it. You know, I think that's that's where we get do things the wrong way, I think. But yeah, it's not about drowning and reaching out of the water or saying like, I can't do this and I'm going to give up today and try again tomorrow. Like, no, you have to say in the moment, reach out for a life raft. I don't know what I'm doing here, but please throw me a life raft that I can hang on to and rise above because I have five hours left in this day. And I don't know how to help this patient right now, but maybe by tomorrow I will. Yeah. And yet I have four more patients that have to receive my help today. And you must get through. <laughs> I don't think I'm alone in that. So <laughs> I, not one bit. <laughs> I bet there's a bunch of people saying, amen, sister. Okay. Yeah. Well, where, where do you want to start? I just... I want to start really positive because I think Yay, so much, I love that. Yeah, so much of our field, like like I said, you know, you can get down on yourself about it. And it's really about seeing where the life rafts are, grabbing onto those and and relying on the resources and the help and the people that are around you. And that is not just your speech pathologist. So, you know, part of what I want to talk about today too was who in each setting is really the person that you can rely on. We are not alone in this. Um, you say that all the time. You know, we feel like we're on an island. And sometimes it's not just within the speech pathology realm. It, it's, you know, maybe that nurse feels like they're on an island too, but you two can rely on each other. Positively, I just, I really love my job. I, I love the variety that I do. And I think that that's important to 
recognize and maybe I can inspire somebody else listening that find the things that you enjoy in what you do because it's really hard when you have those bad days or those bad weeks. I think I have such a cool opportunity and I want people to realize what it is in case they hear about a job opening like this so that they can go, wow, yeah, I could do that. Um, that sounds really awesome. I get to see sometimes patients through the entire course of the rehabilitation, which is so unique from what I have heard from talking to other people. I have patients where um, literally I remember two or three people in the last two years where I met them and their family in the ER an hour after they presented with stroke symptoms. I was standing there as they were administering the TPA. I was, you know, watching them go from acute phase to, you know, recovering through that TPA being positively affecting them and then going, okay, things could change though. And I will check on you tomorrow. And then I come in the next day, they're in ICU um, and they're better or worse. It depends on the patient and a lot of different factors. But then let's say they do great. I follow them for a week or two in acute phase of, of ICU or the med surge unit while they're getting, you know, um, placement uh, recommendations. And, and then hopefully they come to our acute rehab, which is upstairs and on the floor where my office is. You know, now I'm that, I was that frontline person other than the physician. I was the first person to see them that was going to stick with them. So at least the family recognizes me. Oh, good. The speech pathologist that we met, you know, she was really supportive in the ER and now she's going to keep helping my dad. Great. So I get to see them for, you know, three or four weeks. Hopefully it's a pretty good rehab stay. And then they're discharged. Well, most of the therapists that I work with, my colleagues, their jobs are more isolated to the hospital. Our home care agency has PTs and OTs that are just home care therapists, but they contract us as the speech language pathologist to do home care. So yay, they go home. I get to go to their house the next week and say, oh, remember all those activities we were oh doing gosh, for your swallowing? Yeah. Like, yes. like, remember how I grabbed that towel and we did the chin tuck against resistance yeah. over and over and over again? Yeah. Um, where, where are your towels? <laughs> Great. Okay. Let's go to the linen cabinet and get the towels out. We're going to do it again today. And then we're going to do something new because you're doing awesome this week. You're doing better than you were last week in acute rehab because you're home and that's a much better environment for most people. And how can we transition what we learned and what we worked on now to the home care setting. So maybe I get to see them for a full term, which is like an eight to nine week home care certification period. And then they graduate to outpatient. Well, they get to stay with me again, because <laughs> lucky for me, we have this yeah. great we have this great system where um, we, you know, they're typically local to our area and our, our hospitals right in the middle of the community. And they can come to me for outpatient services. And then that'll usually be the last line. So that's where the that's where the tough part comes in because then it's talking about discharge, and yeah. um, you know letting the birdies fly, and they usually have a really hard point there. Yeah. Um, you know, what do you mean I don't need therapy anymore? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no. oh, how cool, Elizabeth! Yeah. I don't, I couldn't even fathom that. I feel like you know, just because I just pop in and see patients for like one day, and I hear how they presented this day, I hear how they presented that day, I hear how they presented this other day. So that's got to be awesome and that you don't have to really I mean obviously you do have to weigh the day-to-day -day, but you know how they've presented on some good days you know how they've presented on some bad days yeah and part of that too I was thinking about is um, it comes up a lot where I do lose them for a period of time so maybe my acute rehab patient um, is not able to go home yet we discharge them to a skilled nursing facility for another six to eight weeks now they've been with a an SLP who I don't know I've read their name on reports or something, but they go there and they've done really great therapy or maybe not the same therapy that I was doing. 
um, you know, there's this, there's this wide variety of, of education and that's, you know, a lot of your, your undertaking here. And then they go to outpatient services after they left the, the sniff and now they're back in my hands and I go, well, great. What have you done? And they're like, Oh, well, I was moving my tongue around and I was <laughs> doing a lot of these type of exercises. And then I have to be supportive and um, supportive of the SLP because I don't know them and I don't want to undermine the authority of speech language pathologists in general to that patient and that family and whoever's listening to me. So you have to be vigilant about how you're wording things like, oh, that's wonderful. I'm so glad you were doing work that you felt was great. It sounds like you've made progress. So let's graduate you to something even better, you know, as opposed to, oh gosh, you were doing those exercises. Well, those aren't really evidence-based. We know that. They don't know that. Their family might not benefit from hearing those words in that moment. We can't change the past. And um, all I can do is move them forward. So, you know, okay, well, I'm so glad to see you again. Let's do something that's going to advance you even further. Okay, we're going to do some effortful swallows today. Yeah, I, I love how you said that. I'll definitely admit that I said something wrong at one point to someone. And because it was someone that I, I, it was an SLP that I knew I and I knew that. that she knew, I, and she knew, she knew better. So I think that's why I was frustrated and it just came out to the patient. I was like, those, those exercises don't do a thing for you, you know, and I the poor wife, that. I know. And the poor wife was like, oh my gosh, you made me feel so bad. And I was like, no. And I, I felt awful. Like, I was like, oh my God. And that was like a huge teaching moment for me to like get my shit together and not say things like that to yeah <laughs> it, dep- it depends on our mood that day we just have yeah to it, it did it just flew out yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah we got to find the peace of the moment and say okay let's rise above is, is what I'm about to say and think best for the patient yeah. yeah 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 but I love how you worded that though just you know you've made progress and we're going to try some different things now I think that's really kind of the best way to handle it. Yeah. I think we get, a, um, we get very protective and very high sense of ownership over our patients. Yes. yes. They don't realize how attached we become to them. Yeah. And often yeah. they're not as attached to us nearly at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're I mean, like, who are you? Yeah, yeah. 80% of SLPs, and maybe I'm wrong here, are, are, you know, type A and, you know, highly compassionate and empathetic people. And we just, we cling to our patients because we want to be those saviors sometimes. And like, well, we know everything and we want to help you and we're going to be that person for you. Um, but we have to take a step back and, and really gain that perspective. And that took me a long time to learn and I'm still learning. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that, Elizabeth. I think I just want to touch a little bit on the differences between acute care and ICU kind of level patients and rehab and trying to explain all those things if a social worker or case manager or rehab liaison hasn't already explained to patients that are transitioning, um, where again, I have a unique position. I've I've physically been the person to care for them in both places. And sometimes um, the family is just trying to navigate that. So I recently had a patient, it was even last week, where I had these high concerns for the patient and it had to do with their long-term outlook. And the ICU physician and the ICU nurses who are just so wonderful were like, well, that doesn't really, you know, in more or less terms matter right now. And I'm like, right, okay. Take a step back, gain perspective. What is their priority? Their priority is keeping them alive. And I think as the SLPs in ICU, we might be one of two people that's seen that patient that thinks, 
well, what does this mean for them five weeks from now or six weeks from now? And I just, I think it's natural for the the ICU physicians and nurse practitioners and PAs to say, well, all we care about is the next five days. And we can't take that personally. And we can't take that as, well, you're not looking at the whole person. Because that was my initial reaction was, well, why aren't you looking at our patient as an entire person? Why aren't you looking them as the whole family? They were. It's just that their perspective was different. So I think that's interesting that, you know, we're looking out for them in the long term because it's these patients who have um, intubation injuries to their vocal folds and we're going, we need an ENT and here a stat. <laughs> and they're going, great, but no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe when they're feeling better. Um, and it's easy to get up on our soapbox about that, but that's where it's just important to keep these things in the back of our mind so that we can continue advocating for them. So maybe they get to acute rehab two weeks later. Luckily, they stay with me and I say to the you know, rehab physiatrist, okay, when I saw them in ICU, this is what I noticed on their fees. Um, I do believe they have a post-intubation, extubation injury. Can we get into the ENT consult now? It still might not happen, but our job is to advocate and teach the patient and the family to advocate for themselves. So that's just so critical to me and, and making sure that those things are considered because we're the ones that look six months down the road and 12 months down the road. Yeah. I think that's like kind of exactly what the conversation I had a few weeks back with Casey Lewis about working in the NICU. Yeah. You know, it's like the, you know, the NICU nurses, you know, my mom's the lifelong NICU nurse and she's like, we just have to get them out and get them home. You know, whereas the, the SLP in the NICU is like, no, we have to slow them down and mold their brains. And, you know, so it's like both have incredible intent, but sometimes it just, (laughs) it's difficult to work together like that when you're both working towards different things. Yeah. Yeah. They're thinking about the five-year-old, you know, baby in the NICU and what they're going to look like going into kindergarten. And I'm thinking about grandpa and the Disney vacation he wants to go on next year. And I'm like, well, how do we get him there? (laughs) I'm like four steps ahead. And that can be a detriment too sometimes. So, you know, yeah. (laughs) I think we have a lot to gain and learn from each other in all our settings. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think I might want to talk about um, like the most important thing in each setting that I find um, to be a strength or or what you can really cling to. So if anybody is looking at working in each of these settings, they think, okay, top thing, number one. So in acute rehab, the most important thing I think is verbal education (laughs) and pen and paper. <laughs> um, because we all know that the most evidence-based treatment for um, dysphagia and, you know, cognitive linguistic deficits is uh, functional activities. And functional activities doesn't always mean grabbing fancy tools and things that you have to buy. It's, it's knowing your knowledge base, having the evidence behind it, and being able to, on the fly, give the person recommendations that are going to be specific to them. And sometimes that just means writing down recommendations on a piece of paper and knowing what that person can cognitively handle that day, and maybe it's only two swallowing exercises. And I typically tell myself, oh, I need to make more handouts, but I don't, because every single patient is different, and I'm constantly customizing their exercise plan. Um, And I find that I most often end up typing something up real quick to specific to them and printing it or writing it down and printing it. I think that in both ICU and and acute rehab or medical and and acute rehab, you know, obviously we want to be doing the targeted exercise, the skill treatment, 
Um, and just, I use about five minutes of that transition time for when their meal arrives. Let's just use five minutes to carry over. It's not my 30 minute session. It's not my hour long session, but, um, let's take advantage of that transition to make observations about their behavior, review the compensatory strategies, you know, maybe target language treatment in the context of the functional activity like mealtime. And I always have these families come in a little bit earlier than their visiting hours and I cure rehab and they're like, Oh, sorry to bother. And I'm like, no, please come in. And they, they, they're bringing food. I'm like, great, let's warm it up and try it because that's functional. And when they get home, that's what's going to happen. And you know, they're not going to get these hospital meals with the perfectly modified consistencies. So let's see what would do it. Let's, let's see if we can advance their diet today based on the, you know, pork stew that their family brought in or, or their, you know, Jamaican cuisine that we would never make here in the hospital, but is completely unique to them, their culture and their family. So I usually get the families that are like, oh, I won't interrupt you. We know that they shouldn't talk while they're eating. And I almost immediately every time go, no, absolutely. Sit down. Let's talk. Because who in any setting and us with a healthy swallow eats in silence, not doing anything else? I'm like, nope, let's turn the TV back up. Let's keep the family talking because you're going to talk while you're eating. And as much as I would love you to keep your lips closed and swallowing safely, um, it's not going to happen. And it might not happen as soon as next week when you go home. So let's do it now. Let me show you why this might be a concern and start you know, helping you to generalize and carry over these things that we've learned. And I don't know why I keep bringing up my son today. And I know it has like nothing to do with this, but like <laughs> he had one therapist that she was like, we have to get the dogs out of here. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so like we locked the dogs in another room. They'd be barking because they knew we were sitting at the table doing feeding stuff. And like, I felt like it just disrupted the whole thing even more. So like the next therapist we had, I was like, do you want me to put the dogs away? And she's like, are the dogs away when you guys eat your meals? I was like, nope. There you go. <laughs> she was like, well, then let them back out. And But like the cute thing is like my son will like take a chip for himself or like I yeah. call them chips, like the little veggie sticks he like loves. And then he'll like give one to the dog and then he'll like eat one and then he'll like give one to the dog. So that's like our routine. Yeah. So like when the woman was like, put the dogs away, I was like, ah, <sighs> like. I was like, it's messing up everything. And you know what? And that's him with social feeding and engagement. So turn taking. I mean, I would want to encourage that. I think. Yeah. I don't know if that's the best thing, but it's it's how our family operates. Well, my son's the same age as yours. So I'm like, absolutely. (laughs) What do I know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and then when it comes to the, the care we're doing, I mean, I feel like most of us are, are drowning in the, in the documentation. Right. So there's a there's a high level of integrity that we have to hold ourselves to. I think that most of us can relate in terms of who the heck knows if anybody is reading what we wrote. But you have to write as if everybody and their brother is reading what you wrote. You have to write your documentation as if the insurance company is hanging on every word, as if the family is going to review every word, as if the doctor is looking for high integrity and and writing. Because if we let ourselves go at some point during that, um, we're going to continue to start failing ourselves and failing our patients. So we have to write our reports knowing that it's possible no one will ever see it, um, but know that you're doing your best and that someone might read it someday. <laughs> and it's- Yeah, I, I walked into a facility a few weeks ago and the SLP was like, I don't want to freak you out, but just know that as soon as you're done with your report, it's going right to the lawyer. And I was like, what? 
And she was like, I didn't want to tell you ahead of time. She's like, yeah, it's a crazy case, but just make sure everything's buttoned up tight. And she's like, I know usually your reports are good, but just warning you. And I was like, oh, my <laughs> God. And, like, I, I scrutinized my report, like, for forever before I gave it up. But, like, since then, it's just been in the back of my mind. Like, what if today this report goes to the lawyer? Like, what if today this report goes to the lawyer? And so I just keep, like, not to, like, scare myself, but, like, double, triple check that like, I didn't leave anything major out or say anything stupid, but it was a good, it, it was, it jolted me back into yes. a good place. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah. Finally, I was like, I wrote what I could. Yeah. Here you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. And, and after, after graduate school, I mean, you don't have people scrutinizing your writing unless you have a really great supervisor right. who's auditing. And luckily I do, you know, and she's like, did you mean to write that percentage? I'm like, Oh my gosh, thank you for catching that. Like wonderful. <laughs> um, and it teaches yeah. me to, you know, look for those things in my own writing, which, which helps yeah. with when I'm, you know, helping to um, teach my students. Um, Cause I also supervise graduate students had four or five. Um, I love it so much. It's, that's got to be an awesome experience for the students to see yeah, all those that's siblings. Actually, that's actually something I was oh, going to mention. Oh, how cool, Elizabeth. It, yeah. We have one of the best placements for graduate students. And it's so stressful, but so rewarding because my graduate students are some of the only ones that get to walk out and put on their, their resume when they're looking for a CF that they have literally been in every setting. Within a semester, yeah, they got to awesome. do outpatient modified, inpatient modified, same thing for fees. Um, outpatient swallowing treatment, language treatment. We've got AAC, the home care visits, and and most of the students love the home care visits. Wow, they're like, wow, that was so much fun. We got to see their kitchen. We got to see, you know, the utensils they were using or how unhealthy that bathroom looked. And do we have to report that? <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, sometimes you do. <laughs> like, we're not going to call APS today, but, you know, let's keep an eye out. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they get to see yeah. all those sticky situations and then really decide what kind of jobs they want to apply for. Um, but it's one of the most rewarding parts of my job is teaching these graduate students who study under Dr. Raquel May. I love that. And they're like, I'll say things yeah. because I, I've listened to him a lot and, and when he was on the podcast and um, I've been to a couple presentations on him and, and I, I like the way that he explains things. So sometimes I kind of mirror that and they go, Oh my gosh, that's how Dr. Raquel May says it. I'm like, well, wonderful. I'm glad that we're on the same page so that the education you're getting is really transitioning between what you're getting in the classroom and what we're doing here today. And like day one, I'm like, please go listen to the podcast. <laughs> I think everyone is saying that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm like as many as you can. Yeah, not that I Yeah, not that I ever intended for this to turn into a college <laughs> curriculum, but yes, it's taken on a life yeah, of its it, own. So. Honestly, I mean not to plug you even more, but yes, um, you know, I I guess speak at my alma mater once a semester on uh to the dysphagia graduate students and that's actually it's becoming part of their curriculum i mean you know yeah so many professors yeah. are writing me like can i use this i'm like yeah dude whatever yeah. like, <laughs> just get it out yeah, there yeah yeah casey so. she's a fantastic professor and um she's been so gracious to let me you know teach once a semester and and she's like well maybe not a textbook let's do you know more of a journal club and she can speak way more to what she's doing with her with her students but it's just so wonderful you know really moving forward with how learning is changing um and it not yes, lecture definitely. form but more realistic and, and round table setting form yeah so in rehab, the most the most functional activities um, 
you know, sometimes come down to, to coach reading it if you could manage it with the OTs, right? You know, if it if you're talking about, you know, strategies for swallowing your medicine, well, let's let's do the cognitive activity that's, you know, actually counting out your your pills for the week. And we have all those supplies from OT. So luckily we're very, you know, fortunate to have these resources at hand. I think the thing that popped up most in my mind when I thought about acute rehab and dysphagia is okay, now we get a moment to breathe. We have them in this nice big rehab patient room and we can do another fees right now. I would like to take a quick moment to thank our wonderful sponsors, EndoHD. EndoHD is a true high-definition endoscopy system created specifically for SLPs by an SLP for conducting fees studies. EndoHD can be a case-portable system as well as a carded system depending on your needs. Additionally, EndoHD representatives can help clinicians set up their fees program. Contact them today at www.endohd.com forward slash contact for more information. Go to www.ndohd.com forward slash contact to discuss your specific fee systems requirements, pricing, or to request a live product demonstration. Because the last fees we did was, you know, status post-extubation within that 24 hours. Maybe it was even three hours after they were extubated. It depends on the patient in my choice of whether I will do a fees that day, if they're going to tolerate the procedure or if I did it the next day. But then it's been maybe a week and a half later, they get to acute rehab, they're cognitively doing much better. And they've had a moment to kind of go, okay, let's regroup. I'm here for therapy. I can now tolerate three hours. Um, I was standing up with the physical therapist earlier. Now I'm in a chair. Great. Okay. Let's repeat your fees right now. So I love just getting that repeat fees on them like day one or two of their acute rehab because it helps us to like revamp their treatment plan and move forward and make the most of the next two to three weeks that I have with them. Um, it also just, I really love that I have the big room because I see rooms are tinier with more equipment and it's so like hard to do the fees in there sometimes. And then the, the rehab team is really motivated to see what we're doing. Uh, the rehab nurses are wonderful and they want to be involved and they'll come and assist me on feeding the patient. Um, if it's a little bit tricky to get them to feed themselves during the test. And I also really like using my iPad and like the MedBridge videos um, that show swallowing. Those animations are just really good. And I, I love uh, just being like, okay, this is not a video of you, but this is a little bit clearer for you to see. And I'm going to explain to you how this is similar to your swallow and what we saw on your video philosophy or fees or whatever it is that I ended up doing on them. So I love that. Did, let me just ask, because I know this is just a huge hot topic in our field. Do you get any pushback from ordering fees or modifieds? Because it sounds like you are able to do them to the best of your clinical judgment, which is how everyone should be practicing. And I didn't know if, if you have you fought to get to that point or has your facility just always understood the importance I, of them? I can think of occasions where I've gotten pushback. I, I'm erring on the side of positivity today in my life this month this year um <laughs> but um i'd like to say i am very blessed that i do not get a lot of pushback um i think just because of the medical setting basis i've liked to think that i've developed some good relationships with the neurologists and the ents in the surrounding counties that might be referring to me for outpatient so um they certainly don't push back we've done, I was actually going to talk about this, all the in-services that we've done are mostly on fees yeah. and doing those in-services in ICU really gains their support in doing 
the fees. I mean, they're, they're to the point where the ICU doctor said to me two weeks ago, is it better if I just put the fees order in right away? Or should I stick with the clinical swallow of order and then you decide? And I was like, wow, thank you so much for the respect of asking me that question because now I can explain to you why. Yes, please keep the clinical swallow evaluation order in and then I'll decide which is the most prudent because of course, you know, if we want to take a, a better look at, you know, the degree of possible aspiration, maybe I want to lean towards a modified, but I mean, I'm a huge fees advocate, especially in ICU and if I want to look more at the esophageal phase, because, you know, this ICU patient has a history of esophageal cancer, like, absolutely, I want to maybe go for a modified first. Um, we could follow it up with the fees if I need to see th- something more, or look at the secretion management. But I'm, I'm lucky. I haven't got a lot of pushback. The physiatrist orders what I need. And there's been, yeah, an occasional um, tricky situation where um, I got the pushback, and it's mostly because of lack of education. It's not, not so much, um, you know, evil in their heart. It's, <laughs> they just, they don't, they don't yeah, realize yeah, the benefit right. and that, that's our job right, to, right. to show them. And I think that's what I try to express to people, yeah. whether my words get minced or something, but it sounds like you've just gained a ton of respect in your facility. And I think people need to understand that it's a process. Like you have to do the work, you have to educate, you have to do the in-services. That's the only way that you're going to kind of break down those walls and let them know that there's a reason for, there's a method to your madness, you know, and in turn, that's what gains the respect. And like you said, now you're to the point that they're saying, do you want me to just put this in for you? You know, and, and I, I, I just want people to realize that you have to put in the work to gain that respect. It's not going to just happen the day you walk yeah, in the building. And it's not and, about us. It's not about, yeah. well, I need this yeah. and I need that. It's you need this for your patient. And this is how I can help yeah. you. Let's look at their secretion management in the ICU because you're worried about their upper airway. Great. I am too. Let's help them. Yeah. Um, this is why you need to, to try and um, listen to me for about five seconds <laughs> so I can advocate for, for why I want to look at their upper airway. And it's, it's not just about, well, can they eat or not? Like, yeah, yeah I'm getting to that point, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard battle sometimes, but it's a, it's a respectful fight. It's, you know, advocating. Yeah. yeah good. I, I love that you said that. Yeah. Let me see. I'll just touch real quick on outpatient. I think when we, we move to outpatient settings, again, you're thinking about functional things, but it becomes a lot more patient ownership, right? They're relying on their family or themselves to get themselves there. Um, if they're not motivated to do it, they will not show up. So, you know, you take this big step from, from home care where you're just like knocking on their door and they have to let you in <laughs> to, um, nope, you have an appointment. And if you wish to get better, you need to show up at that appointment. Um, so when it comes to, you know, that self-advocacy transition, I think just creating notebooks, home practice books where they have to write down their dysphagia exercises um, or get saying, this is your binder here's my handout. I'm putting one piece of paper in this binder, but it's in a binder so that you don't lose it. You know, and you, you have to write big letters on the front of it, like my swallow exercises and you have to bring it every week. Um, because I want you to realize how important this is for your life over the next six to 12 months, you know, and I, I use a lot of like, uh, therapy balls from the OT to be able to do CTAR or, you know, whatever it is that I'm doing and towels. I'm a big towel advocate. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, for exercises, just showing them what they can do on their own. The biggest thing I've taken away recently from my outpatient services is I have a lot of uh, intellectually disabled patients that come for outpatient swallowing evaluations. About half of them end up needing to get a modified barium swallow study. So then I recommend that from there. But they most always come with, you know, uh, support staff, whatever their title is, you know, just a community support or CNA or what have you. Um, but I've loved the opportunity there for educating because they've maybe only seen what they've seen over the last five years, which was, you know, possibly a lot of meal watching or, or intellectually disabled patients who might not have enough advocacy from family um, for, for what they need and the dynamics of what swallowing looks like and swallowing therapy and someone who can't follow directions where they're not typically the quote good therapy candidate with a great prognosis for recovery. It's much more about compensatory strategies and those are the ones that are sitting with them at mealtime. So I love just being like, okay, well, what are they here for today? Oh, okay, well, here's my job. This is what I'm here to offer this person who you are with every single day. And I always like to say, we're just you know changing the world one swallow evaluation at a time. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, oh, well, they don't really cough. And then I just get to educate them about what cough really means. And it's just a great opportunity because I know that that transitions to the five other people in their home that they're caring for who might not have gotten a swallow evaluation in the, next, in the last three years. And they're like, oh my gosh, well, Johnny does that, what you're saying. I'm like, great. Why don't you mention to your home that they should look in Johnny's chart and see if he's gotten a recent swallowing evaluation and maybe he would benefit from coming to see me. I scoped a patient yesterday. It kind of the exact same scenario. And what was so interesting is the patient had never had a pneumonia, never had anything, but just, I mean, constantly coughs and and you know so they were like what thick and liquid should we put him on should we just put him on honey and I was like no and I was like he's never had a pneumonia like I you know there's there's a lot going on with his swallow but yeah I spent yeah I I spent so much time talking to the person about you know no we don't just go there we don't just go there you know like would he actually drink the thick and liquids and they're like no there's no way (laughs) in hell and I was like so why fight that battle like (laughs) yeah So, yeah, yeah. So, but it ended up being, it was like just a really fulfilling hour because it was just a great Mm -hmm. conversation that we had. And it was, yeah, yeah, I usually walk out of those going, wow, I really feel like I helped more than just this person today. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that's what she kept saying too. She's like, oh, we have other people that I can think of that are like this. I'm like, yes. Well, some of that is kind of carries over into my home care setting just in terms of functionality. I Brenda said something on the collective the other day that I just thought was so great. I wanted to quote Brenda Aaron on this. She's like, for home care, it's really all about finding activities and goals that improve independence and functional communication and cognitive tasks. Because there was a conversation about um, what kind of assessments are best to use. And, and then it was that unique perspective of the home care therapist. Like, this is such a good context to try to, it's the best one we can to look at what's really affecting them day in and day out and their health and their hygiene in their home. You know, let's look at their dishes and see um, who's cleaning those <laughs> and what that means for their mealtime. Um, and which cup do they always prefer to drink out of? And is that helping or hurting, you know, their swallow function? It's just 
a unique perspective. And I think there's a lot to gain there for, for anybody who's like, oh, I'm definitely not going to apply for a home care position. That just sounds like what I wouldn't want to do. Like most often it's incredibly rewarding. We need to encourage more people to do that because I know there's a lot of shortages in home care, speech language pathology. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on swallowyourpridepodcast.com where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills and thank you so much to all of you for listening.